Well, good morning. My name's Chris Norman. I'm one of the leaders uh, here at Grace. Grace, last fall, uh, I was uh, attending my, my 30-year class reunion. It was pretty amazing. One of the reasons I, why I went was not only to see a lot of my old friends, uh, but also to look for opportunities to share God with those who might be open. And so as I was anticipating that time for, for many months, uh, praying quite often, praying with my wife quite often, uh, that God would open up opportunities uh, during uh, that time uh, together. And I remember going to the, to the venue, which was this restaurant before kind of the main uh, reunion. And uh, we, we arrived and we were sitting in the car getting ready to go in. I just prayed, Lord, help us to see where you're working and, and open up opportunities of conversation. And so uh, we're kind of in there and, and, and we're mingling around and over uh, a little bit of time, all of a sudden I'm kind of with uh, some of my old friends, about five or six of us in this circle. I mean, there's a lot of other people. It's pretty crowded, really loud. Uh, but there was five or six of us in this circle and we're just kind of, you know, reminiscing and sharing some old stories and, you know, all this kind of fun stuff. And all of a sudden, one of my friends says to me, so, so Chris, how did you change? I'm like, seriously? And it was like this moment when we're all just kind of loud and sharing stories. And all of a sudden he asked that question and it felt like the whole restaurant went silent. You know what I'm saying? You've had one of those moments before? I mean, it's one, now I'm going to really date myself, okay? I'm just going to date myself. I don't mind. I don't mind dating myself. But it reminded me of a commercial long ago. Some of you will remember, some of you will have no idea what I'm talking about, but it's an E.F. Hutton commercial. Now, just raise your hand. Come on, raise them high. All right. There's still many of you around that, that remember this E.F. Hutton commercial. There was actually several of them. Let's just watch this on this video screen. That's the tagline. When E.F. Hutton talks, people listen. They had about, I don't know, maybe eight to ten of those commercials where all of a sudden there's all this commotion, whatever, and someone says, when E.F. Uh, e. Hutton said to me, and then all of a sudden everyone just zeroes in. That's the way it kind of felt. So we're, we're mingling, and then someone says, so Chris, how did you change? And I knew there was the opportunity. And in the midst of that brief period of time, I knew I had about three or four seconds to respond. And in the midst of, that, of those three or four seconds, I fired up a prayer to God. God, give me the right words and speak through me right now. And then I responded. You know what that kind of prayer is called? It's called a Nehemiah 2-4 prayer. Just say it, Nehemiah 2-4. It's a Nehemiah 2-4 prayer. Maybe you've had a Nehemiah 2-4 prayer before. You're in the midst of a situation. All of a sudden, something arises, and you know you have to respond. And, and you fire up a prayer, a short, brief prayer to God about the situation. These are intentional moments that we have throughout our days and throughout our lives where we're in communion with God and we're speaking with him and all of a sudden something arises and we fire up a very brief, short prayer. These intentional moments remind us that God is with us 
throughout every single situation. And today we're in our third and final message in our series on prayer. Now, during the first part of this series, uh, John Haydock and Brady Kohlinger focused on the, the contrast of, of praying about personal circumstances and also praying about the mission that God has given all of us. Last week, Steve Terry focused on the contrast between personal prayer and corporate prayer. And today, Tom Birch and I will bring about the difference between formal and informal prayer. Our main text throughout this series is the, the book of Nehemiah. And let me just remind you of what's going on within the context of this book, Nehemiah. The nation of Israel had turned away from God. And we're now talking about the years after King Solomon was king. And as a result, in judgment, God allowed neighboring nations to come in and defeat God's people. And that's what happened. And not only to defeat God's people, but also to tear down the city, to tear down the temple, and to even carry away God's people out of their homeland. And God's people knew that God had all these promises for them and that because they turned away from God, they knew they were suffering these judgments and consequences. But they also knew that if they repented and turned back to God, he would, in fact, restore them. And that's exactly what happened. The people did repent. They turned, their, they turned back to God. And then God raised up several leaders to begin to bring the people back to their homeland, back to the city of Jerusalem. And this was taking place 75 years later after this started to take place. A man named Nehemiah hears a report that his own Jewish people are being restored back to their homeland. But at the same time, while they're being restored, the city walls and the gates are still lying in ruins. And when he hears the news that his people are going back to their homeland and that God's restoring them back, but the walls are still destroyed, it immediately sent him to his knees and he began to weep and weep and weep. Nehemiah had a deep love for his Jewish people. And as he was living in a foreign land, he had made his way to being cupbearer of the king. He was a man of deep prayer. And God used him to accomplish one of the greatest feats we have recorded in the Bible. That is, he was able to go back and restore the walls within 52 days. This would have never happened without his dependence on God through prayer. And this is why our sermon series during these last three, week, three weeks is based on the book of Nehemiah. And so if you open your Bibles, we'll look at what exactly happened in Nehemiah chapter 2. So turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 2, and we'll pick up with verses 1 and 2. And, and based on several calculations, it appears that after Nehemiah heard the news that his people were being restored and that the walls were still lying in ruins, about four months have transpired by the time we get to chapter two. 
And no doubt he had been praying and praying and praying, God, please restore the city. Please restore the walls. Please restore the gates. Please give me opportunity. If there's any way possible, please give me opportunity for you to use me to help accomplish the restoration of the city. And then the day came. Nehemiah chapter two, beginning at verse one, it says this. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. Now, no doubt that Nehemiah was not the only cupbearer to the king. There were probably many cupbearers. And on this particular occasion, it was his responsibility. His name was called up. He was the one to deliver the wine to the king. And as he made his way to the king, he knew, now he had been praying for four months, God, give me an opportunity, give me an opportunity, give me an opportunity. He goes to the king and it says this, I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. And then he says, I was very much afraid. Nehemiah, one of many cupbearers. He was trained as a cupbearer that when you go in the presence of the king, you never ever allow your personal circumstances to impact how you're going to serve the king ever. You're always deferential. You're always in a good mood. You serve the king with gladness of heart. Don't you dare ever, ever do anything but be deferential to the king. He had the training. He knew that if he went in the king's presence and looked sad, at minimum, it would cost him his job. It may cost him even more than that. And so he goes and he pours the wine and the king says, you look sad. Now, several things are going through Nehemiah's mind at this point. Do I actually take the next step and risk even my own life by making a suggestion that he releases me from my duties to the king. His heart is beating outside of his chest. And we read in verse three, the following. But I said to the king, may the king live forever. And by the way, you're trained. Any time the king ever asks you a question, and don't do anything that would ever require the king to ask you a question. But if you ever get a question, you respond. The first thing you say is, may the king live forever. I know that I could, my life is in jeopardy here. And so, and so the king says, you know, you're looking sad. What's going on? So he responds, may the king live forever. And then he says, this was really very risky. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried, lies in ruins, and its gates have been destroyed by fire. The king said to me, what is it that you want? Now, let, let's just be clear. This was an E.F. Hutton moment 
Okay, I mean, there's, there's many people in the presence here of the king. There's the queen. There's, there's many attendants. And people are thinking, what in the world is Nehemiah doing going into the presence of the king? Sad. And then the king asks the question, what is it that you want? And everyone's like, Nehemiah's heart is beating outside of his chest. He knew it's now or never. And what he did next was he ushered up and fired up a brief three or four second prayer. God, give me the words right now and give me favor right now with the king. And then he responded. It was a Nehemiah 2-4 moment. And so with this sense of fear and trepidation, firing up this quick prayer to God, he responds. And we read his response in verses four and following. The king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven. Now, this wasn't a prayer where he like, you know, he got down on his knees and, and, and folded his hands and closed his eyes and began to pray. It wasn't that kind of a prayer. It was the kind of prayer where you're talking with someone, you're having eye contact, but you know you're in constant communion with God because he's always with us. And as you're talking to someone, all of a sudden there's a brief pause and you're, you, you remain with that eye contact, but you're talking directly to God. You know what I'm talking about? You guys, you guys know this. You're, you're in constant, you don't have time to sit down and, and open up your Bible and begin to pray. No, it's, it's one of those Nehemiah 2-4 moments. And then he fires up this prayer to God. And guess what? God responds to three or four second prayers. And then he answered, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Everybody's jaws wide open. They're thinking, what in the world is Nehemiah doing? Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, well, how long will your journey take? And when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me. So I set a time. This is absolutely astounding. When my friend said to me in the midst of these five or six friends, so Chris, how did you change? I knew I had three or four seconds to respond. I fired up a quick prayer. I was looking around. I, I looked at my friend. I fired up a quick prayer. God, give me the right words and give me favor and work in these lives. And then I responded. That response led to further conversation which led to further conversation, which led to an invitation that I made with many of my high school friends, which led then to eight of them saying, yes, I would be willing to do a video discussion once a week. And we did that for about three months, talking about issues of the gospel. There's a principle in Scripture found in 1 Thessalonians 5.17. It says this, pray without ceasing. Or another translation, pray continually. 
It's this idea that, yeah, we have this set aside time where we're praying to God or whatever, but in the midst of our day, in the midst of circumstances going on, we're in this constant communion with God. And in the midst of circumstances and discussions, we're just firing up quick, short, small prayers. Maybe you're waiting to have a significant conversation with someone, but you don't know when it's going to happen. And all of a sudden, the opportunity arises. Maybe it's with your spouse. Maybe it's with one of your children. Maybe it's with your boss at work. Maybe it's with a friend. Maybe it's with a coworker. The opportunity all of a sudden presents itself. And all of a sudden you have a few short seconds to respond. And so you just fire up a Nehemiah 2-4 prayer. God, give me the right words. Work in this situation. I need you right now. God's always there. Always there. And he hears those prayers. Maybe it's a circumstance that's taking place. It's a good circumstance, a bad one, and you have to respond immediately. Fire up a Nehemiah 2-4 prayer. The king asks, what do you want? Nehemiah says, I write then and there, pray to the God of heaven, and then I responded. I want to encourage you. Take the opportunities. We have so many of them. God is right there with us. Always. He hears those three to four second prayers. Tom Birch is now going to come and talk about another aspect of prayer in our lives. Not these short prayers, but in the depths of our souls, a dependence on God in prayer. good to be with you guys. Um, when I was praying, before we knew the Nehemiah topic, I was, Lord, what do you want to do with prayer? There's a lot of, that's a pretty broad subject, and I'm sure you guys have heard different sermons over the years, and so just was praying, asking, and he reminded me of a prayer time I had with him back in 2002, um, so quite a ways um, ago, and um, during the time, it was about a third prayer, and the other two-thirds was just me complaining to God. So I got my journal out, and I'm writing my, my prayers and complaints to God. And really, I was complaining a lot about um, how when I read the Bible, um, and I see all the potential like of intimacy with God, and then I look at my own life, and there's a huge gap there. I was pretty disappointed. So I was, I was kind of bellyaching to God, and I was talking about like, hey, so you know, he's talking to his 12 disciples and he says to them, hey guys, actually, I'm gonna be going soon and it's better for you that I go because I'm gonna leave you the helper and he's gonna be with you guys 24-7, okay? So it's better for you guys that I don't walk with you day in and day out. I'm actually gonna give you the Holy Spirit. Well, how many of us in our lives actually, if we're honest, would trade in the Holy Spirit with us 24-7 if we could walk with Jesus you know, for three and a half years and he's there and we could talk to him in the flesh. 
Feels like that would be better to me sometimes. So I was complaining to him about where, if Moses talked to you face to face and his face glowed and he had an inferior covenant, we have a better covenant. Why doesn't it seem like it's a better covenant sometimes? Why doesn't it feel like there's more intimacy? So I was mad about that. And I was mad about the lack of power in my own life when I look at the guys in the Bible. Um, You know, it says in Ephesians 1, that all of us are seated with Christ in heavenly places and that he's given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So I'm looking at my life and I'm looking at like, you know what, it doesn't feel like I have every spiritual blessing. It feels like I'm falling short in a lot of different areas. So I'm complaining to God, I'm mad about um, the situation. I get about to page five in my journal and I just start weeping. I was sad about the big gap that was there. And in, through the middle of this sob, um, I end up having this weird feeling of like, gosh, I know what Hannah in the Bible felt like in her bitterness, like in her barrenness. Like she, uh, the, her, the mistress got on her year after year. We're, look at the fruitlessness in your life. You're barren. And she cried out to God and God heard her in her barrenness. So that's going on in the midst of me um, pouring out my heart to the Lord in this prayer. And eventually get over it. In that week, though, I can't um, keep, I keep remembering Hannah and, and this feeling of barrenness in that situation. I'd complained to God many times before, many times journaling, telling him my longings of my heart to want to walk like the guys in the Bible, to be close to him. It not happening, but never had I had that experience with that um, feeling of barrenness with Hannah. So I asked the Lord about that, and he goes, I want you to go look at the people in the Bible that were barren. Look at the stories and what, what I did with them. And so I started looking at Abraham, where it all started, um, and his issue with barrenness with Sarah. And then his son Isaac um, goes through the same thing. He marries Rebecca at 40 years old. They're barren. 20 years later, they, they have children. And then, sure enough, the next generation, Jacob and Rachel are going through the same thing. Um, they're barren. And then we know other stories about Samson's mother being barren. We know Hannah that I just talked about. And then in the New Testament, where, who do we find barren at the beginning of, of Luke's gospel? You guys remember? John the Baptist's parents, Zachariah and Elizabeth, were barren. And so, but the Lord had heard their prayer. So at the end of this, God was, was teaching me a lesson on barrenness. So next slide there is why would God allow and sometimes even purpose us to go through times of barrenness in our lives? It seems actually kind of cruel if you think about it. But the Lord doesn't, it isn't cruel in his eyes because that's not the end of the story. That feels like the end of the story for us. And some of you actually have experienced um, barrenness trying to have children. And so I want to encourage you to not give up. I've seen God um, heal people through that, whether it's in vitro or even without even using any um, in vitro in that area. So the, the issue is, this is the, the punchline of the message. Why would God allow us to go through this? Um, I'm sorry, go back a slide there. Um, what, are the, what are the two things that he is... Um, doing during this time of our barrenness is he's drawing us to himself, intimacy and prayer. 
So think about in your life, if you've prayed about something and you're barren, you're going to keep knocking on God's door. You're going to keep coming to him. Lord, you said this, but I'm experiencing this. Where's the breakthrough, God? Imagine Isaac praying 20 years for, for um, Jacob and Esau to come forth. And so God's bringing us to places of intimacy when we go through barrenness. It's not to frustrate, frustrate us and then the book is closed. He wants to draw us close to him. And then the next one is to give birth to miracles in our lives, legacy, so that at the end of the day, when it's all said and done and God comes through with the promise, we're not saying it was by our strength or might, like Craig said, not by our might or power, but by his spirit that these things happen in our lives. So he's bringing us to those places um, so that he would draw us to himself in intimacy and that he would give birth to miracles in our lives. So question is, what are some of the common areas that we see barren today around us. Um, so the, one of the things that I see a lot um, is marriages, um, maybe people being divorced or even single. Like I'm, in June, I'll be married 24 years. And we've had a great journey together. We have three kids. We've had a ton of great times, God with us, doing great things. But there's also been a lot of years of difficulty, frustration, baggage that I brought in from my um, generation, generational stuff, Mary's generational stuff, um, our own brokenness, years of counseling. Um, It's been a rough road. And when I talk to other people when they're honest, man, marriage dials up everything that can be dialed up in your life, areas of selfishness and and all those things. So, um, and, and sometimes we shut down because we're tired of trying. And the Lord wants to say, no, don't give up on that. And maybe some of you are like, man, it's already too late. Our, our marriage is over, it's divorced, and now I'm starting again. And God wants to be with you as you, as you rebuild um, the things that have happened there. And maybe some of you are like, man, that's nice you talking about that, but I'm single and I'm lonely, I'm dealing with sexuality issues, and I wonder where God is. He said it's not good for a man or woman to be alone. Where is he? I've been waiting and praying. So maybe you're in a spot where you need God to move there, and the Lord hears you. He knows, even though sometimes he doesn't answer us right away. Now, I'm going to throw out a quick caveat there. Sometimes we think that prayer, we're talking about prayer today, sometimes we think prayer is the answer for everything, and it actually isn't. So there's a story, fascinating story in Exodus 14, where Moses is at the Red Sea, and Pharaoh's ticked. They've t- imagined all the silver and gold they took when they plundered them, and then they realize they lost their slaves, and they're hot and heavy, they're coming up, and uh-oh, crap, what are we going to do? You would think that that of all the times would be the time to pray, wouldn't you? And Moses cries out to the Lord, and the Lord rebukes him. He says, what are you doing crying out to me? What have I given you in your hand? Use it. And so he waves his, his, the, the staff and he parts the Red Sea and moves forward. And sometimes we're crying out to God to answer our problem. And he's like, why are you crying to me? You do something about it. So let me give you an example of what that looks like. So I was talking with a friend the other day and he was telling me how his weekend went. And um, he doesn't go to church here, but he was at church and his wife embarrassed him in front of some friends. And it really hurt him. And I, I asked him, have you talked with her about that? He goes, no, I haven't. And I said, why not? And he goes, because whenever I bring up stuff like that, she always shuts down, and in a couple of days, we won't even talk at all. So I just, I just kind of shut down. I don't even do it. 
And I said, well, what happened if you went into Walmart and you had, let's say you had a five-year-old child and they didn't get a sucker at the counter and they threw a fit, would you confront them if there was an issue? Or would you just not do it because they would shut down for a couple days and you're not going to talk to them? So you wouldn't do that with your child. Why would you do that with your spouse? So you're asking the Lord to go work on your spouse, but you don't have the courage to go there and confront. We're supposed to grow, Ephesians 4 says, by speaking the truth and love to each other. So sometimes we, and that goes for the, the wife too, so sometimes if you're, um, we, the, the, the husband has done something wrong, the wife needs to go and confront the husband, and the husband needs to deal with that too. So it goes both ways, but sometimes in our relationships, we just want to pray, God, I want you to take care of my spouse, I want you to take care of the person. The Lord's like, no, I haven't given you a spirit of fear, I've given you a spirit of power, love, in a sound mind. And what we do when we speak the truth in love is we help each other grow. They're not gonna know if you don't go do that. So some of the time, the Lord's not gonna answer your prayers because he's gonna ask you to go do it. You do something, okay? Um, what's another area that we see in life where people are barren? Our children. So I don't know how many times I've had conversations with recently with people or how many times I've been over in the prayer area and people are coming up and they're really concerned about their kids. Um, they're concerned about, are they walking with God? Are they are their friends they're hanging out with? The choices they're making. Um, what about their educational and career unknowns? A lot of kids, man, they feel a ton of pressure. Hey, what are you going to do when you're older? I have no idea. Well, come on, our, our world, our culture says you better know. It better be good, and it better be high in the world's eyes. And kids are like, man, I have no idea. I'm just trying to get up in the morning. This, all this stuff happened to me. And our parents are like, hey, what are you going to do with your life? You got to know. What a major? I don't know. General studies, man. That's what I'm going to do. You know? And so we're worried about our kids. So 3 John 4 says, I have no greater joy than my children walk in truth. What do you think the opposite of that is? When our kids are going wayward, and we don't know what's going to happen, we have to turn in that spot and pray for them. And sometimes they'll confront them, but be in balance with it, not just, you know, preaching the party line. Sometimes he says, lay off, let them go. And other times I want you to address those things. So being wise to know what to do there. Uh, another area is what I was dealing with when I was, when I was um, going, journaling to God. And that is the big gap in the intimacy and the um, legacy of, of my life. You read scripture, man, all these promises of God. Where am I at here? Where all the intimacy with God? Where am I at here? God, what's the deal with this? What's going on? And part of that angst I had to the Lord, and part of me doing that is that I'm afraid when I get before him that I'm gonna stand before almighty God and he's gonna say, what did you do with your life? And I've got this much to show. And I'm, I'm afraid of being in the balance and being found wanting. I want my life to count, and I want a, a great legacy. I want to know him as a friend, as a bride, um, all those things that we have in Scripture. But it feels like it's hard to do that. It's hard to go bridge that gap. So part of me is crying out, is, God, I'm getting older. It's not happening that great. It doesn't seem like stuff's going on. Won't you please do something? I don't want to come before you empty-handed. And you feel a gap there when you read the Scriptures. Um, so there's a place of barrenness that... 
um, we have. And again, God doesn't want to frustrate us and just say that's the end of the story. He actually is bringing us to those places because he wants to birth something miraculous. And when he does do it in our life, we won't take the credit for it. We'll say, I tried on my own many times to be fruitful. It didn't happen, but, but Lord, you made it fruitful. Okay, so what does that look like? What are practical steps we can do when we find ourselves in a barren spot in life? Let's look at number one there. So first of all, just confess our barrenness to God. John fifteen five says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, um, you will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So on our own, we can't make a hair black or white. They fished all night, couldn't catch a darn thing. And guess what? When Jesus shows up, look what happens. So in his presence, when he's there, things happen on our own. We can't do it. So, so much of this prayer message is about dependence. Are you leaning on your own understanding or are you trusting the Lord and acknowledging him in all your ways? Um, Number two, tell him our longing. So Jesus, imagine a blind guy coming up to Jesus and he says, what can I do for you? So seriously, like you don't know, Lord. And it's like he wants to hear from our own mouths um, what it is that we want. What do you want God to do for you? He asked that over and over and over to people. What do you want? And they told him. He wants to hear it from us. And then the third thing third th- is to walk out what he says. So often he'll give us instructions on what to do. So let me give you an example. So some of you maybe struggle with control. You want to go drive your car. It doesn't feel like the Lord's doing that great a job of taking care of the universe. So you're going to take care of it, right? And we're going to go fix people so that we don't like what they're doing. We're going to go do it. And so sometimes we're overkill here because we're not trusting God. And maybe God's saying, hey, you know what? Why don't you just trust me and pray and watch me open up things for you? Look what happened with Nehemiah. So Proverbs 21 one says, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord, and like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. So God is pretty easy to go take a guy like Saul of Tarsus going this way and turn him around this way if he wants to. God can go change a king's heart in a day. He doesn't need your extra help. So maybe if you're this way, maybe the Lord's saying, I want you to pray more and quit trying to control situations, okay? But maybe some of you over here You've lived in this false prayer thing where I'm just going to pray and I'm going to have the Lord do it all. I'm not going to go rise to the occasion and talk to people in love. I'm going to live in fear and you want God to go do it. And God says, you know what, quit praying over here and I want you to step up and I want you to share it. Maybe your marriage is in trouble and you're not telling anybody around you because you're afraid what they might think of you. And the Lord's like, you're supposed to have the body of Christ carry your burdens help you carry your burdens? How are they going to carry your burdens if they don't even know what your burdens are? So maybe the Lord's going to have you share where you're at with some people so that you're not walking alone. So where, what is God going to tell you or me in our areas of barrenness to help us give birth to something? Okay? So why don't we do this? Why don't we all stand up and let's, let's um, close our eyes. We're not looking around. And let's be honest about what are there any areas in your life where you feel barren? You feel like you've prayed a lot, you've thought about a lot, and, and it doesn't feel like the Lord is coming through for you. And He wants to hear you acknowledge, God, I can't do it 
apart from you. And Lord, this is my longing that you would do this for me in my life. And let's, let's listen, and maybe the Lord will even tell you this morning, maybe a next step for you to lead you in a place where he's gonna give birth to something that is gonna be a miracle and change your world. So Lord, would you right now, would you speak to us, Lord, we're barren. We don't know what we're doing, Lord. We've tried so hard to do things in our own power, Lord, to see you move, and it doesn't work, Lord, unless you're there with us. Would you please, Lord, speak to us. Help us, Lord. Lead us out of a place of barrenness to fruitfulness, Lord, so that we have intimacy with you, Lord, and that we give birth to things that change the world. Would you do that for us, Lord? Would you speak to us? I'm gonna have Ellie here close us out.